1: night may be long and the dark may be deep but the answers are there to be found whether it's the normal the abnormal
0: or the paranormal you're in the right place let's go beyond reality
1: welcome to the world of the unusual the bizarre and occasionally the macabre this is beyond reality radio good evening everyone Welcome to the program. J.V., as you probably know by now, has the night off. J.V. Johnson making his return from a successful Scarecon in Rochester, New York. We'll be talking more about that in a moment. My name is Bruce Markison. I'll be filling in tonight as your guest host for the next two hours. We're going to have an interesting conversation about a topic that is relatively new to me called dowsing. We're going to talk to a professional dowser, Maria Wheatley. Much more on that coming up in a moment. But as we get things started on a late night Monday, let's remind you about our website. It is beyondrealityradio.com. Again, that's beyondrealityradio.com. We have a complete archive of past shows all recorded there. So great way to catch up on programs that you might have missed in the past. You can also participate in our chat room. Go to J.V. Johnson on YouTube. We love to hear your contributions. Interact with each other during the course of the next two hours. You can follow us on Facebook at Beyond Reality Radio. Again, that's Facebook at Beyond Reality Radio. In addition, you can follow us on Snapchat and Instagram and we do have a toll-free listener line, which will come into being a bit later on, 844-687-7669. Again, that number, toll-free, 844-687-7669. And if you'd like to learn more about me and some of my interests, I have a Facebook page. Uh, we've been going for almost a year now with that. It's called Bruce Markison's Ghostly Gallery. And since nobody knows how to spell my last name, including me at various times, All you have to do is go to Facebook and write at Ghostly Gallery. One word, type it in, at Ghostly Gallery. Uh, It'll take you to my page. Uh, We've got the uh, latest on horror, sci-fi, the paranormal. We not only look at horror in terms of movies, but also books, comic books, things like that. Uh, Just a bit earlier tonight, I posted a news item about uh, Bela Lugosi. Uh, Of course, he has been uh, departed from us for many, many years, but one of the real legends of the horror industry. And it just came out today that a major museum in Southern California has acquired the cape that Bela Lugosi used in the original Dracula in 1931. It has been donated by his son, Bela Lugosi Jr., And uh, it's now part of their collection and I assume will be on display uh, either in the coming weeks or the coming months. So uh, certainly for those uh, on the West Coast or planning to visit the West Coast, uh, that's going to be a very interesting opportunity. And you can uh, learn more about it by going to my page at Ghostly Gallery on Facebook. Now, as for tonight's guest, uh, her name is Maria Wheatley. She is a professional dowser. We're going to explain exactly what that is. Maria will discuss dowsing, ley lines, earth energies, and also, this is fascinating, the long-skulled people of Stonehenge. Uh, She has a couple of websites. One of them is the Averberry Experience. Uh, It's actually uh, the, and then Averberry is A-V-E-B-U-R-Y experience.co.uk. So the avaberryexperience.co.uk. Also, she has another website, esotericcollege.com. So the subject of dowsing and Stonehenge will be two of the featured topics on tonight's program. We'd also like to remind you about some upcoming guests. Um, JV is back from Scaricon, uh, and he'll be back in studio tomorrow night. This should be a lot of fun. I'm really uh, interested in this. Um, A lot of times I will hear the shows on tape, but I'm going to try to stay up late and listen to it live. Tomorrow night, midnight Eastern time, JV's guest, Mr. Lobo. He is the mysterious host of the late-night movie program Cinema Insomnia. It's been a cult sensation for 18 years and counting, and they'll be discussing what movies to watch this Halloween season. I'm always up for a good recommendation for a Halloween-themed film. On Wednesday, uh, JV's guest will be Alan Stivelman. He is a filmmaker, and he has a documentary out. It's called Witness of Another World. It unveils the mystery of a spectacular close encounter witnessed by a lonely gaucho. And our producer, Slick Eddie, informs me that a gaucho is an Argentinian cowboy. I'd always heard that term before, but... Never realized that that's what that is. So that'll be coming up with documentarian Alan Stivelman on the Wednesday night show. And then on Thursday, JV's guest, Vincent Jenna. He is a psychic. He's been on the show before. And he'll return to do some ghost busting and also help listeners uncover some skeletons in their closets. Now, before we get started with our main topic tonight, I do want to... uh, Give a little bit of a recap of Scaricon, which took place over the weekend in Rochester. Uh, it was difficult for me; I was not able to go. It's not true that I've been banned from Scaricon. That rumor is out there; it's completely false. Uh, actually, in my other life, I work at the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I had some duties uh, at the Hall of Fame over the weekend. It's Donor Weekend in Cooperstown for uh, people who contribute to the Hall of Fame, and I had to interview one of the Hall of Famers in front of a live audience. So I was not able to leave town to go to Rochester, which is about three hours from here. So I missed it. But I did talk to our producer, Slick Eddie. Uh, He told me that he had a great time. Very good crowds that showed up at the Rochester Riverside Hotel. Uh, He said the karaoke was a big hit. Also watched a movie that I had not previously heard of. It's actually a 1995 film that went straight to video. It's called Ice Cream Man. And Eddie said it was excellent. Uh, they showed it uh, in, um, in one of the rooms there. They also had some live commentary as well. And just the cast itself is fascinating. The movie stars Clint Howard. He's actually top billed. Clint Howard is the younger brother of Ron Howard. Also in the movie, and these are some strange names because you don't associate them with acting, Steve Garvey, the former all-star first baseman, For the Dodgers and the Padres, he's in the movie for some reason. Uh, Doug Llewellyn, the guy from the People's Court, he's in the movie. Uh, Then you do have some traditional actors and actresses. Olivia Hussey, who starred in Black Christmas. Uh, That is a cult classic horror film from 1974. Uh, Also, uh, David Naughton, who was at Scarecon. I believe he was in the room when they showed the movie. Uh, David uh, is part of the supporting cast. Uh, the late Jan Michael Vinson, who died not that long ago, he is in this movie, Ice Cream Man, uh, and the great British actor, one of my favorites, David Warner, and Lee Majors the Second. I have to admit, I did not know there was a Lee Majors the Second. He, the son of the Six Million Dollar Man, Lee Majors the First, and this apparently was. Lee Majors the II's last film ever, Ice Cream Man from 1995. But uh, Slick Eddie said it was excellent, really enjoyed it. They also had screenings of House of a Thousand Corpses. That's my favorite Rob Zombie movie. It's terrific, has the late Sid Haig. The convention was dedicated to Sid Haig's memory. He, of course, passed away uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, and the original Phantasm from 1979 was shown. So it sounds like a great time had by all. I unfortunately missed out on it, but I'm doing my best to find out all the highlights from Slick Eddie. And hopefully I'll talk to J.V. Johnson a bit later on uh, to get his perspective on how things went. But it sounds like it was a fun time. All right, our main topic of conversation tonight is dowsing. Our guest, Maria Wheatley. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products, and all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your
2: way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook, search it as the noodle shark that's the noodle shark because you deserve to save too become a
1: shark and save jv has the night off bruce Marcuson filling in over the course of the next two hours or so and our guest is maria wheatley maria is a second generation dowser who is well known for locating earth energies ley lines deep water that is known as yin water and also proving that standing stones emit energy. She has written several books on dowsing and ancient sites, and also leads tours to lots of places, Egypt, Malta, and across the British Isles. She also discovered the elongated skulls of Stonehenge, and is currently researching this long-lost civilization for a forthcoming new book. We welcome to Beyond Reality Radio our guest tonight, Maria Wheatley. Maria, thanks for joining us. How are you tonight?
0: Uh, Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Absolutely. Now, I have to confess, um, you know, I've heard the term dowsing, knew a little bit about it, but not very much, and been doing some research the last couple of days. But I'm sure we have listeners out there who are not too familiar with dowsing, so uh, give us um, give us kind of the ABCs, the basics what exactly is dowsing and how'd you get involved in it
0: Well, dowsing is the ability to find something. Uh, We're familiar with people finding underground water, for example, like boring wells and things like that for farms and for houses. So that's one branch of dowsing, which is, you know, thousands and thousands of years old. And there's other forms of dowsing, like finding earth energies that we live above, because some earth energies are very good for us and some earth energies are quite toxic and make us ill if we live above them long term. So across Europe, it's very popular now to have our houses decoded for the land we live above.
1: Now, you talk about these energies. Can you be more specifically, what exactly do you mean by earth energies?
0: Some earth energies are associated with, with ley lines. If you imagine a straight line with ancient sites upon it, or just a straight line going through, through the earth, Sometimes these lines have uh, a male and female meandering like river, coiling around around the lay. That's a lay system. And the ancients were looking for those lay systems to put earth energies above. And some even Christian churches are above male and female earth currents that give them the kind of name like St. Vincent's church would be above a male line and St. Mary's would be above a female line. So that's one type of earth energy. And they they influence us in, in many different ways. Other earth energies can be like spiral patterns that give off a frequency of around seven to nine hertz that puts your brain into a very relaxing alpha mode. And some earth energies can be male and female combined energetically. And then you can have earth voltages that are like earth springs, if you will, that come out of the ground and can be very energetic and energizing.
1: And you don't realize this is happening to you at the time, right?
0: So some sense some sensitive people do and others don't. For, for example, you can have a grid system called the curry net that was discovered by Dr. Manfred Curry in the 1950s. And where the curry net crosses, which is about every sort of 7 meters or 3.5 meters, that can be very uh, detrimental to our health. And some people do not know they're living above that at all.
1: A natural question for me is this, you know, we have so much water that is at the surface. We have lakes and rivers and streams, sometimes we have flooding, we have oceans, all this. Why then do we need to go underground for water? Is the water different? What What's the reasoning behind that?
0: Yeah, that's a good, good question. Well, some of the rainwater that has fallen could have fallen up to 50,000, 60,000 years ago in very, very deep aquifers Mm. that is very pure water. So, for example, where I live, there's one well that's quite deep and that has water that is 30,000 years
1: old. And where exactly do you live?
0: I live very close to an ancient site called Avebury Henge, which contains the world's largest stone circle, and I'm about sort of 35 minutes from Stonehenge.
1: Oh, okay. So it's it's a very rural area?
0: Yes, I live in a very uh, old 12th century market town in southern England.
1: Now, it sounds to me that Dowsing is something that would be done in the countryside, in rural communities, and really would not apply to the city. Correct or incorrect?
0: Well, I think in the future, more cities will be turning to water diviners through running out of water. Mm. So I think there there is a good reason, you know, to have dowsers in cities to decode their houses and businesses alike.
1: What do you use, Maria, uh, for dowsing? I've seen pictures of the equipment, but tell us exactly what they are.
0: Well, dowsers use a variety of different dowsing instruments. If you're doing your good old fashioned water divining, you could use a hazel rod. Literally, you picked from a tree or windfall, and that will find water easily. It really does. It just rises under tension of the water. So that's a kind of very old method. I use copper-based L-rods because copper is a very conductive material. When we think about it, we have copper in our houses, our electricity goes through copper, and in wiring, etc. So it's a very very conductive metal. And I use sleeved rods. So they have a kind of sleeve on them, which my hands go into. So Mm -hmm. my hands do not influence the rod in any way. And copper is also dedicated to the goddess Venus and earth energies are very much, you know, from Gaia, from the earth goddess.
1: Are these L rods pre-made or do you construct them yourself?
0: you can buy copper based rods these days or you can make them yourself it, it's you know it's up to the up to the individual
1: and what do you like to do
0: I I, I've had mine made for me, actually, so they fit my hand perfectly, so they're quite bespoke. But, you know, on the Internet these days, you can get any type of rod. Uh, Quite popular in the States is brass-based rods. But Mm. like I say, I think if you have copper uh, involved in the material, then it makes it highly, highly sensitive and conductive.
1: Yeah, and you use two, one in each hand?
0: Sometimes uh, professional dowsers these days just use one rod because if you use one rod, then you can ask the copper rod, for instance, show me the direction of the nearest underground water and Mm. that rod will turn and then you follow it until it goes to a found position. Then you know you're above the underground water or lay or earth current. It's called directional dowsing using one rod.
1: Uh, Maria, before we get back to the subject at hand, I'm curious about something I noticed on the website you have. Your father, uh, Dennis Wheatley, that's not the same Dennis Wheatley who was the famous horror writer, right? Uh,
0: No, that's that is a relative,
1: though. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, Because he he wrote some terrific horror novels, uh, including the basis for the movie The Devil Rides Out with Christopher Lee. So you are related to him? Yes. Interesting, interesting. Uh, he was uh, uncle or grandfather, or yeah.
0: Dennis is uh, a family name. So, for example, my brother's also called uh, Dennis as well, okay. and so is my is, is my father. So, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a family name.
2: Your
1: father's but, still uh, still with us? No,
0: oh, no, okay. unfortunately not.
1: Okay. Uh, so related to the uh, the horror writer very uh, very interesting I wasn't sure how common the Wheatley name was in England but uh, common or not uh, a connection there with our guest Maria all right let's get back to our subject Uh, I briefly mentioned something called yin water I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly what exactly is yin water why is it significant
0: Yin water is water that is uh, born within the earth and independent of rainfall, according to esoteric dowsers, that emits a very powerful spiral pattern. And it's very, very deep in the water, whereas the water we're familiar with, for example, uh, comes down from the sky in rainfall water, fills up some underground aquifers and some underground uh, streams and rivers, and that gives off a different type. Type of uh, energy pattern that dowsers can pick up, and that's called that type of yang water, as uh, as it's called, gives off that energy pattern that is called geopathic stress, and geopathic stress is energy that can influence our immune systems and over a long period of time, say like five or 10 years that you live above, can cause problems. And this has been tested all throughout Austria and Germany and England. And a great survey was done by Dr. Kathy Batchelor on geopathic stress, who investigated over 11,000 homes. And a German statistic pointed out that a third of all hospital admissions over seven-year period in Germany was down to geopathic stress. So you, you take that out of the what we call the National Health Service over here, for example, and then you, you, you reduce uh, admissions to hospital. So uh, countries in Europe take geopathic stress very seriously. Now, the yin water that's born within the earth, that's considered more harmonic because it gives off a spiral pattern. And places like Stonehenge and Egypt, there are, Above these very, very deep aquifers that influence the environment by making your brain go into an alpha relaxed mode. Because we've tested the frequencies, the Hertz frequencies coming out of these different types of earth energy patterns.
1: Now, this yin water, do you consume it? Do you do you use it in other ways to grow crops? What what exactly is the use of it?
0: Well, the use of it is for its for its harmonic surface pattern, which is called a geospiral. If you imagine a seven-coiled spiral going around, the ancients seemed to be very highly sensitive to this Earth energy pattern and would use that as placing the, the kind of central features of stone, stone circles or the central feature of a pyramid, and that would be placed above that energy pattern. So it's not really economical to bore because it's very deep, but it's the the electromagnetic surface pattern that's important to an ancient site.
1: So the water is not consumed then
0: It's not consumed no it's more integrated into the megalithic foundations of ancient sites okay. worldwide.
1: Now this ties in with uh, Stonehenge, correct Yes. How does that connection come about? Explain that, please.
0: Well, at the center, near center of Stonehenge, you have a very... Tall stone called the altar stone, which was actually very beautiful. I mean, today we see Stonehenge as you know four and a half thousand years of English weather and erosion, basically. Mm-hmm. But if you were, if you imagine originally those stones were highly polished, so you'd have 30 silver standing stones with lintels upon it. You'd walk inside of Stonehenge and you would see beautiful blue stones from Wales, 170 miles away. They were transported to Stonehenge, highly polished, uh, blue with flexes of feldspar, which is white, like quartz. And then you'd walk to the centre of Stonehenge and you'd be faced with a 16-foot standing stone that is green sandstone, beautiful green shade with spots of mica and red garnet so it was a very colourful place Stonehenge and the altar stone was placed above this geospiral pattern and once you place a standing stone above that type of electromagnetic energy the stone starts to absorb almost that energy and transmits it and we've recorded these signals coming out of the stones at particular points within the stone so it's really like Neolithic Wi-Fi they're kind of mm. pulling up the uh, earth energy and, trans- and putting it out to the next stone, literally in a linear beam of energy, easily recordable with the right equipment. And I've done this for, you know, TV shows in the past, from Nippon TV to Japan and, uh, and other TV companies.
1: Now, do we know if Stonehenge was naturally formed or was it a man-made arrangement or is that still debated? It's
0: a man made it is uh, for sure, yes, because the the stones have have been made into lozenger shapes and placed into the chalk bedrock. they're not in the earth, they're actually in chalk bedrock,
1: okay, so that's unquestioned
0: uh, absolutely
1: okay i was um I was in in Great Britain in nineteen eighty six I was in college, but I spent a semester. At a place called Roxton near Banbury. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Every weekend they offered us trips. And one weekend we went to see Stonehenge and it was fascinating. Uh, But that was about 30 years ago. If I went back to Stonehenge today because of the effects of weather, would it look significantly different or does it look similar?
0: It would look very similar, but your experience would be very different because going back uh, thirty years ago, you could get very close to the stones and touch the stones. Today, that you you don't. You're about sort of fifty meters away from the perimeter of the stone circle.
1: There's a wall around it.
0: There's what's well, a fence?
1: Okay, yeah, I don't remember there being a fence uh, when I no, went there it in eighty six.
0: No, you you had the freedom of going around Stonehenge before mass tourism
1: they felt it was becoming um, dangerous uh, um, maybe destructive to the stones
0: some, yeah I mean you always get some people that uh, uh, behave inappropriately and some some people had you know defaced the stones so the security was you know, Brought in, and you've just had that in your uh, America's Stonehenge. Uh, America's Stonehenge has just recently been vandalized.
1: Mm. How close were you able to get to your Stonehenge?
0: Well, I, I can, for my tours and uh, workshops, I get private access time. So my groups can go into Stonehenge out of office hours, so to speak, early in the morning or late in the evening and interact with the stones and the energies right at the center, right at the heart of Stonehenge.
1: Nice. So you have a, you have a special permit, if you will, to do this.
0: Absolutely, I do, because the experience of the energies in Stonehenge is quite transformative and alchemic. There there is something very, very special about these ancient sites. And if we go in there with a good intent to work with these energies, they can transform our lives.
1: I'm trying to remember, are the stones arranged in a circle, oval? What's the shape?
0: At Stonehenge, the outer circle of 30 standing stones with 30 lintels on the top is a perfect circle, inside of which there's another circle of bluestones probably about 60 originally, and then inside of that you have five massive trilithons, that's two stones with another lintel on the top, inside of which you have an oval of more blue stones, inside of which you have an altar stone. So Mm -hmm. it was like stone circles within stone circles, within a horseshoe feature, and then a central standing stone, the altar stone, the holiest of holies.
1: Yeah. Is Stonehenge considered the world's largest stone circle?
0: No, actually, Stonehenge is quite small on the inside compared to Hmm. some. Yes. I mean, when we look to the world's largest stone circle, the diameter of which is about 1,100 feet across, Stonehenge is 98 feet across. So you could fit 10 Stonehenge's into Avebury Henge, the world's largest stone circle.
1: Yeah. When you take tour groups there, what are some of the things that you try to highlight? What are the, the bullet points, if you will, that you like to get across to the people that go there?
0: how the ancients were master geomancers by detecting these very subtle, sometimes very powerful earth currents and integrating that into the megalithic architecture and then the energies that the stone absorbs in what we call energy bands. And I show them the male and the female earth currents that are involved in ancient sites and how we can interact with those to get balance in our lives and how the ancients incorporated stunning, stunning lunar and solar alignments into the ancient sites as well. So our ancient ancestors were master geomancers, they knew about earth energies and they were skilled astronomers because there's some cycles of the moon incorporated into Avebury and Stonehenge that only occur once every 18.61 years. So that's when the moon rises in the same place at the same time, uh, uh, on the same day as it did 18.61 years ago. And that's a stunning uh, event called the moon's most northerly moonrise.
1: What did the ancient people use to move these stones, to transport them? Do, Do we know what technology was available?
0: We only have models that archaeologists present, and one is the the one where it was taken from ancient Egypt where people hauled them with ropes and logs, but nobody really knows how they moved the stones at all. Mm -hmm. And, and, And some of them are way up to 100 tons.
1: Wow, that's amazing. When the folks on these tours go... How do they react? What do you notice in terms of what they say, their, their body language? What, what do they tell you?
0: they tell me that something they feel something very strong and they sense something from the stones when they place their hands above certain points on the stones you do feel something and it makes a dowsing rod react very wildly when you place uh, somebody into the energy field of a vortex that's been uh, the stone is being placed above Everybody feels the energy there. And, you know, like tomorrow, I'm taking 40 school children around Avebury Henge. It'll probably mm. be absolute chaos. But, but, even, <laughs> but even children pick up on these energies and they go, what's going on over here? And uh, so I'll probably be running around standing stones tomorrow. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now, you've been many times. Do you feel the energy, the currents every time or do you become conditioned to it where you don't feel it?
0: No, you do feel them uh, every time because they can be stronger with certain lunar cycles and solar cycles, for example. We're coming up to a big solar uh, event in the Druid Celtic calendar, which is called Samhain. Uh, it's more known in America as Halloween. Mm-hmm. Uh, And that's, uh, you know, uh, the Celtic New Year starts on on November the 1st and the eve of which is October the 31st. And that's when in the Celtic calendar of the ancients, the veil between this world and the next grows thin. And we can contact our ancestors for advice. It's a time of divination. And that's why people dress up in skeletons. They're reenacting an ancient Celtic festival of Samhain.
1: Halloween this season of Samhain, as you mentioned, does it affect Stonehenge? Does it change what we feel when we go there?
0: Yes, it's uh, it's considered by the by druids to be the a uh, very active time when the what we call the veil between this world and the next grows thin. Yeah. So everything is highly energized at that point, especially at sunrise and sunset.
1: And you've gone on Halloween there.
0: I've been to numerous sites that are actually aligned to the sunrise at Samhain, which is a place in Ireland on the hill of Tara called the Mound of Hostages. And that's when, at that particular date, the sun pours in to a chamber on the inside of a mound, on the inside of this beautiful, very large earthen structure that has chambers of stone on the inside, and the sun touches you.
1: And how do you feel when this happens?
0: It's an amazing experience because the that's when it's very highly energized time of the year. The, the ancient site is being bathed in sunlight. Who couldn't feel good?
1: <laughs> yeah. Maria, we have just a couple of minutes before the top of the hour, so I wanted to ask you uh, about your website. Well, you have several websites. One of them is, quite simply, Mariawheatley.com. But then you have another one called the AverburyExperience.co.uk. Uh, tell us about that site, what you have going on there.
0: On, on the averyexperience.co.uk, I have my some of my workshops to do with Dowson and ancient sites and my tours to like Egypt and Malta and Stonehenge that we've been talking about and elsewhere. So that focuses on tours and dowsing workshops. I also teach online, Dowson and other esoteric subjects. And that's at my other website, esotericcollege.com. And all of my courses are fully affiliated with the Association of british uh colleges
1: hmm. how often do you go to egypt
0: uh once once or twice a year yeah wow it's it's fa- it's fascinating it's a, it's a wonderful uh country uh, it's lovely weather if you're a brit then you enjoy <laughs> going there for for the sun i can assure you uh but the ancient sites there are, are be are breathtakingly beautiful yeah.
1: is that your favorite location outside of your homeland
0: Uh, Yes, but I love Malta as well because Malta is... The land of goddess temples. Everything Mm. seemed to be dedicated to the goddess there. And one of their sites, which I encourage your listeners to Google, is called the Hypogeum. That was an ancient site two stories below ground, cut out of the solid limestone bedrock, and inside of which you had lots of different chambers, exquisite uh, stone masonry work. And you have a, a chamber inside called the Oracle Chamber. And if I stood in there and spoke, my voice would echo in every other single Mm. chamber around the hypogeum.
1: Maria, before the break, you mentioned the workshops uh, that you offer. Uh, Give us some details on that. Somebody who signs up for one of your workshops, what exactly does it entail?
0: Well, my online workshops can be private one-to-one tuition or in a group, Uh, or home study, for example, I'm about to bring out some video tutorials, they can learn things such as dowsing, how to decode their home, how to understand the energies within their home, the, the the geopathic stress zones, to be away from those, to put your bed in a safe place. Uh, We discuss uh, other types of earth energies that are more positive and uh, uh, healing and can help the body to heal itself. So I I discuss all of those things in in the courses uh, because it's very important to live in harmony with the earth and to avoid underground yang water and The grid lines I spoke about, the Curry grid, the Hartman grid, and the Banker grid, they're considered toxic earth energy points.
1: Yeah. How much training would a typical person need before they could feel comfortable trying to do this on their own?
0: Really, dowsing is about understanding the principles of dowsing, which they're quite easy with a little bit of practice. And then it's having the confidence to recognize the Earth energies. And things like grid systems are really easy to find because they flow north to south, east to west. And they're, they're very easy to find. And other grid systems flow at particular angles so you know you're on them because you can check them with a compass, for example.
1: Let's go to our first caller of the night on the line from the state of Pennsylvania. With us is Joe. Hello, Joe. You're on the air, Beyond Reality Radio, with our guest Maria Wheatley.
2: Uh, Hey, guys. Um, Hello. My question is: Have you ever been to uh, any sites in anywhere in Eastern Europe,
1: Maria? Any sites that you've been to in Eastern Europe?
2: Yes,
0: I have. I've been to the um, stones near Prague. There's a few standing stones there. I've been to places in uh, Italy. And I've been to a stone circle in Poland.
2: There's uh, also, I've been to, uh, well, probably about six, seven years ago, I went to uh, Ukraine, um, more or less on a tour. We were, uh, we went into cave. There's a church or a cathedral. I think it's almost a thousand years old. Um, In the middle of the church, it's uh, St. Sophia's Cathedral. There's a metal floor circle. And they told us if you send it, uh, stand in it, you'll feel the energy from the from the ground. So of course I was the first one to be pushed to go in, and you honestly felt a tingle from the bottom of your feet all the way to the top of your head. It was absolutely amazing. You actually felt the energy in the church.
0: Yes, I mean what was going on uh, from about a thousand years ago and even before that, the. The Pope asked that all the ancient sites be transformed into churches. Now, because that was Sophia's church, the main type of earth energy there is going to be feminine earth energies.
2: Oh, I get, I get you. Okay. It's, it's amazing. If you ever have a chance to go, you got to wow. go. It's really amazing. And there's a, there's a lot of Neolithic sites in Ukraine. Eastern Ukraine and the uh, Carpathians, it's its really mind-blowing what's there, you know, and I think a lot of, the, you know, people all over the world don't realize what's actually in Ukraine as far as history. It's absolutely amazing, especially with the Neolithic sites. Um, there's a cave just north of the Crimean Peninsula, like in southern Ukraine. They've actually found pre uh, um, Sumerian writings on, on the walls in this cave. It's absolutely amazing. It's, uh, I think for you, it would be something really interesting to, to investigate.
1: Uh, Joe, thank you very much for the call. We do appreciate it. Uh, Joe mentioned, um, caves, do dousing rods, do they work okay in caves or are there difficulties?
0: No, you can use dowsing rods anywhere, underground, above ground, because there's several ancient sites across the British Isles that were built underground. We call them fogus. Uh So they work perfectly well underground. And and some caves as well are, are have great energy. And it's really good what the um, the speaker just said about feeling those earth energies, and that is really powerful. That's what people experience at sites worldwide.
1: Yeah. We talked a little bit earlier about some of the bad energies that people want to avoid. What's the worst? What's what's the one that you just don't want to have any part of?
0: Geopathic stress, it's called. Yes, that's the crossing point of the Curry grid. When two positive lines meet one another, that is called a cancer house. uh, If you live above those types of crossing points, very detrimental to the health. It will literally break down your immune system. And this was discovered, like I said, by Dr. Manfred Curry in Mm. the 1950s, because he found that where he took a blood sample in his very large practice changed. And after much research, he realized it was being influenced by a grid system.
1: And actually does cause cancer?
0: Yes, it does. And in Austria and places just a decade or so ago, you used to have to have a certificate to say your house is geopathic stress-free. Really? Yes.
1: So, so it sounds to me like if, if you're looking to buy a plot of land and build a brand new house from scratch— it might be good to have a professional dowser like yourself come in and check the land, no?
0: Exactly. And I'm really proud to say that I've trained up some very open-minded architects to decode the land before you build. Because if you've got a public building going up, let's say a hospital or a school Mm. or something like that, Dr. Kathy Batchelor found that if children are studying above these grid lines I've just described, then they, they don't learn that well. They're always kind of preoccupied because of the energy zone they're in. But there's positive earth energies as well. And well. um, interacting with those could be very healing. So, we could think about how to lay out a hospital in a school, for example.
1: Has anyone who owned, whether it was a private house or a public building, has anyone ever responded to maybe one of your investigations with your dousing equipment? And you said, Hey, this is not a good place. And then they said, Okay, we need to get out of there. Have you ever had that reaction?
0: Yes, from a very, very wealthy person in the UK, a very well-known wealthy person who bought their dream home. And it was magnificent Mm. uh, in, in South England, but it was and it was a new build, but it just placed in the wrong place. And she became very, very ill. And uh, you can do some things with geopathic stress, like uh, introduce uh, diffusers, but at the end of the day, if it's chronic geopathic stress, you want to get out of that room or out of that property. And she did, and she's now very healthy. Mm.
1: Can you say who it is, or do you have to keep it private?
0: I'll have to keep that one private. Okay. But I've I've taken celebrities around Stone Circle, shown them powerful Earth energies like Patrick Stewart recently, uh, Captain really? Picard of Star Trek fame. He's very interested in in Earth energies and Stone Circles like the Roll Right Ring in Oxfordshire. Really? Hmm.
1: Yeah, so you've had conversations with him about this.
0: Yes, yes. And uh, he's very, very open minded. And I think a lot of people are really coming around to what the ancients knew about ancient sites and earth energies, because we are a part of the earth. You know, there's there's yeah. no separation from us. and And even where we were born can influence our bones, for example, by the water we used to drink. So different geologies can affect us as well.
1: Conversely, Maria, have you ever had anybody who's a skeptic and say, ah, "I don't believe this. I'm not moving because of what you said."
0: Yes, I mean, again, you're going to, I'm going to, I meet all types of people and I've had uh, skeptics like that, but after a while, they come back and say, I'm not getting any better mm. and I'm having private treatment because you can have all the treatment in the world. You can pay for it privately. You could have NHS free treatment. But if you return to a geopathic stress zone, your body will not self-heal. Really? That's what was discovered by Dr. Uh, Banis and Dr. Kathy Batchelor. These are doctors, physicians right. looking into geopathic stress, not new ages.
1: And you're going to know right away. This is this doesn't take several years to develop symptoms right you know pretty quickly
0: yes there's there's symptoms of geopathic stress for example i'll give you a few examples You're you may grind your teeth you may avoid a particular area in your bed by curling up or sleeping at an odd angle hmm. they're waking up between two and four o'clock in the morning continually there's some symptoms of geopathic stress
1: interesting jv has the night off Uh, Still uh, making the transition back to the area after a successful Scaricon 2019 in Rochester, New York. JV will be back tomorrow night and will interview Mr. Lobo, the mysterious host of the late-night movie program Cinema Insomnia. Tonight, though, we continue with our guest, Maria Wheatley. She is a professional dowser, an author, and has been offering some real insight into a subject that I frankly did not know a lot about, but uh, feel a little more comfortable in, in terms of some of my, my basic knowledge. Marie, I wanted to pick up a little bit on one of the places that you take tours to. You mentioned Egypt earlier, uh, but how about Malta? Uh, tell us a little bit about the temples of Malta, what they're like.
0: Temples of Malta are spectacular. They're all, they're made of predominantly Limestone, which can be golden and red colored, for example, they're very ancient, the the Maltese temples, some of which predate Stonehenge, for example, by, you know, 500 up to 1000 years. Mm. And Malta is a very small, condensed island. And what you do find about ancient sites worldwide is that they're never more than about a mile from a fault line. So there's there's an intimate association there because when a celestial body like the sun or the moon crosses the horizon line at sunrise or moonrise, etc., it makes a kind of geological pull on the land and the fault line and can bathe the megaliths in a a piezo form of electricity, very mild form. And the Maltese temples have spectacular carvings on them. And I'm leading a tour uh, next November there. So they they carved out spirals. And animals, and they made distinctive what's called pit marks, like dots on the outside of their their temples. So they carved into the stone, and they have a huge axis line going right the way down, like the axis line of a, a church, from which you have lots of other round shaped. Uh, asps they're called, like chambers so they're very womb-like and it was the Lithuanian archaeologist Maria Gimbutas who investigated these Maltese temples and said that they do represent the, the goddess and it's interesting to note that in ancient Maltese language there was no name for father, it was all about the mother and there was a gigantic goddess carved out at one of the temples called Tajin which was very Very tall and about sort of eight feet wide, Mm. massive, very big-hipped goddess.
1: Now, you've been in the underground temple there as well?
0: Yes, many times the Hypogeum.
1: What's that like?
0: Well, it's really finely carved uh, inner chambers deep within the earth itself, Okay, that may or may not have been roofed. It was only recently discovered in the 1930s, yeah. and today has been, you know, fully uh, restored. And the, when we think about the craftsmanship that has gone into these carving out these very, very deep temples in solid, you know, limestone, it is most astonishing. And like I said earlier, the different chambers: one's called the Oracle Chamber, one's for, another chamber is very, very deep, and the earth energy underground is very condensed you've already heard one one listener saying he could feel it made his feet tingle Mm. but when you're in the hypogeum you would tingle all over yeah it's it's that that strong and there was long skulled people found in the hypogeum that heritage malta denies
1: really interesting Mm. Um, how far down do you go to get into that temple
0: you go down in various different levels. So uh, when you're fully down, it's a bit like being in a two-story building below ground.
1: Mm. I think that would not uh, that would upset me. I, I'm I I get claustrophobic, and the idea of going under the earth too far would worry me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's very large and open. It's not oh. like being in a very condensed space like okay. the king's chamber or the queen's chamber in the pyramids. It's a, it's like being in a, a vast mansion.
1: Yeah. And let's go to Marianne in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Marianne, you're on Beyond Reality Radio with Maria Wheatley. Hi, Bruce. Hi, Hi.
2: Maria. Good evening. I'm going to be quick because I just find this fascinating, and Maria, you sound wonderful on the radio. So um, how is there a map for the United States to find these ley lines, or how do I go about finding out where these lines are beneath us? Yes,
0: that's a good question, uh, Marianne. The, the most traditional way to find a ley line in your vicinity where you live was discovered by Alfred Watkins in the 1930s, where you look for ancient sites or churches or springs, holy places that are in a straight line. And when you have five or more of those sites, that's a ley. The, the lays in America haven't really been widely documented and some of those lays would have had earth currents entwining them—a male or female earth current. You—you you have a lot of lays targeting America's Stonehenge, Serpent Mound in Ohio, uh, Wupaki in uh, the Southwest, and Toozygoot and Sedona. In, in those areas, I've been to recently and doused. But I'd—I'd I'd look literally get a map. And have a look at for ancient sites or churches in a straight line in your in your own country, in your own state.
1: Uh, Maria, have you been to Pennsylvania, where Marianne lives?
0: I used to live in Pennsylvania. Oh, really? As a child, quite close to Valley Forge, when I was eleven to fifteen, and went to New Eagle High near Devon.
1: Okay, uh, but when you were that young, you probably didn't know where the ley lines were, right?
0: No, but uh, my father did. Oh, really? And, and again, very large old buildings in America, like the the building of Valley Forge, was designed by masons, and they are always on ley nexus points. That's where lots of lays cross, and there's earth energies beneath it.
1: Marianne, does that help you out?
2: I'm going to give it a try. Thank you so much.
1: All right, thanks, Marianne. Appreciate you uh, calling and listening. Again, our number is eight four four six eight seven right. The topic that I really want to get into now, Maria, is um, your discovery. You were the one who discovered these elongated skulls of Stonehenge. Tell us how that all came about.
0: Through dowsing, I, I had a map, like I was saying to, to Marianne, you know, you, you get a map. And I started looking at local lays by literally joining the dots of ancient sites and one a particular long barrow, that's a long earthen mound that's about, you know, say 390 feet long on the Salisbury Plain, quite close to Stonehenge. And I was attracted to that uh, mound. It had uh, earth currents and lays going through it. And I thought, what's going on there? And I began to investigate it. And uh, after some investigation and research, I discovered that it was built for one person, and it was a woman. And I... Tracked the remains, the remains down to uh, Cambridge University. Uh, requested to see the skull through writing an academic paper because I study at Oxford University archaeology, uh, and discovered it. It was very unique. It had a very long skull and a very narrow face.
1: Now, where was the skull? The skull
0: originally was in a long barrow close to Stonehenge, but uh, in the 1800s had been taken out and excavated and placed into literally a cardboard box that was then in Cambridge University.
1: Okay. Um, Now, did you find other skulls at the site itself?
0: Not at that site, but I thought, well, if that long barrow contained an unusual skull, what about the other long barrows on Salisbury Plain close to Stonehenge? So I investigated all of them and found that all of them contained this ancient species or race of humanity that uh, has these very, very long skulls. Mm. Every single long barrow contained long skulls, whereas a thousand years later, when the European beaker culture came to the British Isles, they had round skulls and were placed in round barrows. So it's like the long skull people were in long barrows and the round skull people were in round barrows Mm. in this area.
1: Now, when you say the skulls are long, how much longer are they than the, the average human skull?
0: Much longer. Much longer so if you if you imagine that you 're touching the back of your skull and then you extend it by sort of you know at least ten to twelve inches or more that 's how long their skulls were wow. and Hmm. And they they were narrow faced as well. And one male that uh, I investigated from the Avery environs, their their teeth were quite unique because where we have canines, you know, for uh, eating and chewing meat, the long skull people tend to have them all the same. Uh, Size, a bit like baby milk teeth that you maybe once had, uh, where you don't have canines. And also, their ears are placed further back in their head and were quite small. So, their ears were in a different uh, zone than ours are today.
1: Hmm. Would you call these human, or do you think this was another species?
0: I think they were probably another species because we don't have these people in the British Isles or Europe or elsewhere today. So something happened to that that species, for example, and they were judging by the long bone uh, with burial deposits. And once you have a long bone, you can use a mathematical formula that anthropologists and even the police would use to estimate the height of the person Hmm. and the long-skulled people were quite short. They were uh, the men were probably about five feet seven, and the women were like Queen Nefertiti, very
1: petite. Interesting. Have they? Ha- has anyone ever come up with a name other than long-skulled people, uh, or is that is that the name that's commonly used?
0: It's the name that's commonly used, but you know, archaeologists deny their existence. Uh, that even when you present the, the evidence to them, they will say, well, you know, that that's, could be quite natural. That could be just, you know, a very unique to that area. No, these, these were a species and they were all over uh, Europe at one time and in places like Malta. Because when the, the hypogeum that we've discussed was first excavated by Professor Zamet, uh, going back to the 1930s, he reported finding 10 long-skulled people there, and he wrote about it in National Geographical magazine. So he wrote about that, and yet Heritage Malta deny their existence.
1: How can they rationally do that if these skulls exist?
0: They have control of the artifacts, and Mm. they have even in their new uh, visitor center at the Hypergeum uh, put in comic font on the wall long skulls aliens like making a joke of it that it shouldn't be believed spoon feeding visitors
1: so it sounds like you've had some arguments with some of these folks
0: well, I what I would like is a really good DNA study. I've offered, I've got somebody that would back me in that and pay for that, but uh, the in the UK they don't want that. You have to always present an academic reason and paper to even get to see these skulls. So you couldn't just, you know, knock on the door and say, can I look at these skulls? You'd have to present the reason why you want to do so. That's the problem. So it's they're not easy accessible, but I found children there's no uh, evidence for head binding whatsoever so that can be uh, ruled out they seem to have built the the big structures in the ancient world they are the species that found the lays They are the ones that laid that system out and put on places like Stonehenge, like the Hypogeum. All of these ancient sites in the British Isles and Europe were laid out by these people categorically because that's their age bracket.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. Now, are these long-headed people of Stonehenge, are they in any way connected to ancient Egyptians?
0: I think so, because when you look at the skull of, you know, King Tut and the the that's the the, the royal dynasty, the 18th royal dynasty of ancient Egypt they are very similar to the long-skulled woman from Stonehenge and some of the males from Stonehenge so I think in the ancient world the long-skulled people were the ruling elite they're very similar for example to Nefertiti in height in weight in in look in skull shape that cannot be coincidental and I think they were the high priests or the the royals of the ancient world.
1: Mm. Now, you're working on a book on this very subject. How far have you progressed? Any idea when that project might be complete?
0: Yeah, by next year, it will definitely be complete, and it's going to have a whole new look at uh, ancient sites. And I've researched Stonehenge extensively, And I'm piecing together what Stonehenge originally looked like. And I don't think it's what we've been told Mm. that it looks like today through Professor Richard Atkinson and uh, Goland and and people like that. There's missing stones and I've tracked the missing stones down. And I think as well, when I was around this long-skulled woman in uh, Cambridge, when I uh, put my hands close to, uh, they're gloved up as well, close to her chakra and her third eye and her head, I think they may have had two crown chakras or two really kind of energetic points on the back of their skulls. Now, when I spoke earlier about the standing stones absorbing the earth energy and releasing that energy, and you can detect that with a sensitive electromagnetic equipment. Mm-hmm. The person I was with said that's a hertz frequency of 18 hertz. Now, we hear at 20 hertz. So I think the prehistoric experience of ancient sites, they could hear the energies coming out of the stone. We can't. It's infrasound now. But there's a lot of ultrasound and infrasound at these ancient sites. So could you imagine going to an ancient site, seeing the stones and possibly hearing them?
1: Yeah. Would dogs be able to hear this, this sound?
0: Some do, in experiments done at the Rollwright Ring in Oxfordshire, a scientific experiment, yes, yeah, some dogs would shy away from certain stones. And when the infrasound was detected uh, to, to check out what was going on, they do correspond. And it's almost like they flare up with infrasound or uh, ultrasound.
1: Mm. Now, you say the book will be completed by next year. Do you have a working title?
0: Uh, the, the work in title is, uh, the secret history of Stonehenge.
1: Oh, well, that's a good one. I know dealing with publishers, they often like to uh, make those decisions on their own. I've written a few, uh, <laughs> a few books on, on a totally different subject, baseball. And I don't think ever once has a publisher gone with the title I suggested, but, uh, that might yeah, change.
0: Yeah, well, we'll wait and see. And it's, it's really looking at uh, ancient sites through the eyes of uh, Earth energy and how we can work as well with those Earth energies, because some of the delays the that go through Stonehenge are global. They wrap around the world and become a great circle and they influence the world in in, in very, very subtle but powerful ways. Mm. So it's a, it's a really new look at an ancient site that we think we all know, but we don't
1: well, looking forward to that book uh, i have one final question maria before we let you go is looking at one of your websites you have something called egyptian pendulum dowsing that is used in healing i was curious about exactly what that is
0: it's very very powerful at the in the 1930s two french dowsers that were interested in archaeology were at the valley of the kings and they spotted these uh, what at first was thought was pendants uh, on the mummies by by the by by the heart chakra placed by the heart, and they investigated these energy devices and realized they generated one of the most powerful forms of energy known to man. Okay, it's called negative green. And it's a form of solar energy, an esoteric color of the sun. And one of the collaborators called Chawmery filled an object in his laboratory so much with the negative green that he was found by uh, his partner, de Belezal, completely mummified in his laboratory. It went down in Dowson history. Yeah. And these energy devices, once you kind of uh, are trained in them, and it's simple training and attunement, they can be programmed to tune in to the uh, the colors of the sun, the sun god Ra, and be used for color healing in the body. Because an esoteric dowser will say that the base chakra has all of the colors of the sun, but red dominates in its opening because you can't isolate light. Light contains all of the colors of the rainbow and invisible esoteric colors as well. And these energy devices can be programmed to heal and to remove or put in different color frequencies because we are light bodies and we we relate to the sunlight.
1: And you've seen this healing firsthand, right?
0: I've seen the healing firsthand and I've been trained uh, extensively in Egyptian pendulum dowsing by master dowsers of Europe.
1: Our guest has been Maria Wheatley. She is a professional dowser, and she has been discussing that subject, along with ley lines, earth energies, and the fascinating long-skulled people of Stonehenge. The book on that subject uh, expected to be completed next year. Maria has several websites, the Experience.co.uk. Avaberry is spelled A-V-E-B-U-R-Y the Experience.co.uk, Uh, and then the other site is esotericcollege.com. Maria, thank you very much. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you very much indeed.
1: Let's uh, quickly run down uh, the guests over the next three nights. Uh, J.V. Johnson is back tomorrow, and Tuesday night his guest will be Mr. Lobo, the mysterious host of the late-night movie show Cinema Insomnia. They'll be discussing what are the best movies to watch during this Halloween season. Really looking forward to that one. On Wednesday, uh, JV will talk to Alan Stivelman. He is a filmmaker who has done a documentary. It's called Witness of Another World. It unveils the mystery of a spectacular close encounter witnessed by a local gaucho. Alan Stivelman, documentarian, coming up on Wednesday. And then on Thursday JV's guest Vincent Jenna psychic he'll return to do some ghost busting and also help listeners uncover the skeletons in their closets. I actually have some skeletons in my closet right now. They're not real. They're fake skeletons part of the uh, decorations for my house for Halloween. Anybody comes to my house right now, it is it's like a it is a museum of horrors right now. We have so many skeletons and other strange decorations, but uh, it's fun. We're getting into the uh, the Halloween season and uh, also want to remind you about my um, Facebook page at Ghostly Gallery. We talk about Halloween, horror, sci-fi, the paranormal, uh, and also uh, promote uh, upcoming uh, times that I'll be on this show. Uh, after I've run roughshod over the last three nights, we'll see about uh, when they might invite me back again. We hope you've enjoyed the program You've been listening to Beyond Reality Radio. Have a good night, everyone.